الله وبركاته Someone can just give me a quick mic check, please. Just make sure everything's working okay. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin. Ul-aqibatu lil-muttaqin. Ula'udwana illa ala al-zalimin. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illa allahu wahdahu la sharika lah. Ilahu al-awwalina wal-akhirin. Wa ashadu anna nabiyyana muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluhu al-mustafa al-ameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala abdika wa rasoolika muhammad. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in amma ba'd. So welcome to Quranic progression and inshallah ta'ala today we're going to continue with our tafsir of Surah Al-A'la verse number 2 uh, but just as a quick recap last week we kind of spent the whole session on uh, a, a fiqhi issue with regards or relating to the Quran and that is that in certain places in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we have certain narrations from, well, we have a general narration, as we mentioned, such as the one in the hadith of Hudayfa, radiyallahu other than uh, that narration that the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, at times when reciting the Qur'an, would stop and pause at certain verses, and he would either glorify and praise Allah, azza wa jalla, or he would make dua for Jannah, or he would seek refuge from the fire. And then we extrapolated from that a number of uh, fiqhi issues uh, that uh, occur, or that the scholars have mentioned and from them then therefore is that which is specifically mentioned in certain narrations for example these the narration that is attributed to Ibn Abbas عنهما, as it related to Surah Al-Ala and other than him uh, that uh, Qatada rahimahullah, for example also has a narration as we mentioned uh, that that at the end of the recitation of verse number one glory be to the name of your glory, uh, may the name of your Lord, the Most High, be glorified. Uh, or glorify the name of your Lord, the Most High. Uh, it is said that they would say, some of the Salaf, they would say, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. And then we asked or we posed the different positions amongst the scholars of Islam as to whether that is something which is a Sunnah. And if so, then there is a sunnah in the salah or outside of the salah. If it's in the salah, then it is, in, is it in every salah or just in the nawafil or the optional salahs as opposed to the fard salah? And we mentioned the different positions of the madahib and the scholars concerning that. And then we also touched upon another issue, which was with regards to whether that is something specific to uh, that which is mentioned with regards to certain narrations or whether it's something which is open. So, for example, can it be with any verse of tasbih and any verse of jannah and any verse of the fire and then related to that what about other verses that are of a similar context in which there is a question that is posed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is a question that demands or doesn't demand an answer but it is a question that the answer for the believer is in the affirmative that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for example is the one who has the ability to bring life to the dead that Allah azza is the best of all judges and so on and so forth and we mentioned a number of those issues concerning uh, those particular, um, you know, those particular uh, masail, and from amongst those masail also was whether that's something which is specific to the tasbih and the tahmid, or could you say it for the for la ilaha illallah? Could you make takbir? Could you make the hawqala to say la ilaha la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah and so on and so forth? But anyway, those were all issues that we kind of discussed last week as it related to uh, the issue that you will find mentioned in some of the books of tafsir.
Um, so today, inshallah ta'ala, we continue with the tafsir of Surah Al-A'la, verse number two. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as we mentioned, begins this surah by praising and glorifying his name and himself subhanahu wa ta'ala and saying, Sabbihisma rabbika la'ala. And then Allah azza wa jal, after mentioning this in verse number one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give or mention a number of his attributes subhanahu wa ta'ala and a number of, uh, of his abilities subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as we mentioned before, one of the things that the Book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does is that the Book of Allah azza wa jal speaks about a number of topics and it speaks about a number of themes and some of the scholars divided those general categories and themes of the Qur'an into three. That a third of the Qur'an speaks about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it speaks about Allah azza wa jal in terms of his names and his attributes and his rewards and his punishments and everything connected to our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. The second category or the second third of the Qur'an speaks about the ahkam, the rulings, the halal and the haram, and so on and so forth. And the third and final category, or the last third, speaks about the stories and the parables that Allah Azza wa Jal relates to us in the Qur'an. Uh, Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala, mentions this in a slightly different way. Uh, he mentions that the goals and objectives of the Qur'an are threefold. And they're connected to the, the themes as well. But he says that the uh, that he just has a different way of mentioning that the goals and objectives of the Quran, studying the Quran, reading the Quran, learning the Quran, memorizing the Quran, contemplating the Quran, they are threefold. The first of them is that the Quran wants us to know our Lord Subhanahu wa Taala. It wants us to know Allah Azza wa Jal, and that is why much of the Quran speaks about Allah's names and His attributes, and it speaks about the powers and abilities of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So that you can recognize your Lord as being the one true Lord and God worthy of worship. And therefore you worship Him alone, subhanahu wa ta'ala. You direct all forms of worship to Him alone. That's the first objective. The second objective is then to lay down the path that will allow you to attain His pleasure. So now that you know that Allah is worthy of worship alone, what is the path that allows you to worship Him alone? Or what are the things that Allah has legislated in terms of that worship that He is pleased with? So it speaks about the ahkam speaks about the rulings of Islam, speaks about worship, speaks about character, speaks about conduct, speaks about dealings and business and so on and so forth. And the third is that it speaks about the rewards, therefore, for those people who turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they accept uh, the first two. Right. So if you worship Allah Azzawajal, you recognize Allah Azzawajal and you follow the path that leads to him subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the rewards that you will have, as well as the punishments of those people who turn away. And you find that within the stories of the people of the past and the prophets and so on. And you find it also in the verses of Jannah, now paradise and the hellfire. And then he goes on to mention, and therefore the traps of shaitan or the objectives of shaitan are threefold also and they are the exact opposite. That number one, shaitan wants you to know as little about Allah as possible. To be as ignorant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as it is possible to be. And that is why you find within other uh, religions and so on, that they have a great deal of ignorance when it comes to who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is and what his rights are, Jalla fi ula. And even amongst Muslims in the different groups and sects that are out there, you will find an element of this. So when, for example, people say that there are certain saints that have divine abilities and powers, or for example, other people uh, may say that certain creations of Allah have knowledge of the unseen or have certain abilities and so on and so forth, this is all stemming from a lack of knowledge concerning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then his second objective is to take you away from that path that will allow you to please Allah Azza wa Jal. 
So rather than following the path that is pleasing to Allah Azza learning about his ibadah and worship and the conduct and character that a Muslim should possess, you're taken away from that. And instead, you engage in haram, you engage in sin, you engage in conduct which is indecent and becoming of a Muslim. And the third one, or the third objective, is that therefore you go into the fire with him, meaning that you are, uh, you are, uh, you know, you're kind of like gathered with him in the destruction and in the punishment of Allah Azza wa has promised shaitan and all those who follow his path. And so I thought that that was a nice uh, categorization that you find in some of the works of Ibn al-Qayyim ta'ala that allows you to understand the objectives of the Quran. And so once we understand those objectives, objective number one is to learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to learn about Allah azza wa jal, to know his names, his attributes and so on. And that is why often in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about himself and he praises himself and he glorifies himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is an example of that. Allah azza wa jal speaks about glorifying his name and now Allah azza wa jal gives us reasons to do so in verses two onwards. So in verse number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues and he says, الَّذِي خَلَقَ فَسَوَّى Allah azza wa jal says, for he is the one who created all things in due proportion. That's the uh, translation of Professor Abdul Halim in Sahih International, who created and proportioned. Mufti Taqi, who created everything, then made it well. And Muhsin Khan, who has created everything and then proportioned it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that from the reasons that we glorify him jalla fi ula, from the ways that we recognize our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala is that we acknowledge that he alone is the one who created. And therefore not only did he create but he also proportioned. This is a, uh, a verse and much of the tafsir that you will find within this verse is something that we've mentioned before in great detail when we were speaking in Surah Al-Teen uh, concerning the verse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ Indeed, we have created mankind in the best of form and fashion. And we mentioned a number of issues there, a number of points and a number of benefits. And so you can return to that, uh, that particular tafsir lesson, um, you know, probably from a couple of years back now. And you can find the tafsir and what we mentioned there in detail. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is essentially saying that he created. As Imam al-Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said that Allah azza wa is the one who created everything. And so there is nothing in existence except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it. Jalla fi ula. Either directly, because he is the one who created, for example, the heavens and the earth and so on, or indirectly in the sense that he gave humans the ability, for example, to create certain things, to invent certain things. But that ultimately is from the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he allowed for its creation to exist. He gave permission for it to be created and he gave, for example, humans the ability and the skill and the talent that is needed to create that. So Allah is Al-Khaliq, the one who is the creator. And from the names of Allah is that he is Al-Khalaq, Al-Khalaq Al-Alim, as Allah says in the Quran. Al-Khalaq is the one who continuously creates or is proficient or, or, or perfect in his uh, creating ability, subhanahu wa ta'ala, in his creations, Jalla fi ula. And he is the one who proportioned meaning that he gave, as we mentioned in the tafsir of Surah Al-Teen, that Allah Azza wa Jal created everything in the proportion that is particular to it and that is relevant to it. And so, for example, the creation of the elephant is different to the creation of the human. The creation of the human is different to the creation of the eagle. The creation of the eagle is different to the creation of the shark. The creation of the shark is different to the creation of the snake. The creation of the snake is different to the creation of the ant and so on and so forth. And so to have the trunk 
of an elephant upon the you know the nose of a of an ant or for example to have the tentacle the, the 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 antenna of an ant upon for example the uh, you know i don't know the body of a whale or whatever it may be these are things that wouldn't fit and they wouldn't benefit those creations so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created and he placed everything within its correct proportion as the imam al-tabari rahimahullah ta'ala said and ibn kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said something very similar Allah created everything and then He proportioned every single one of those creations in the best way for it to exist and survive. And that is why, the, you know, as, as we mentioned before, the creation of each and every single one of these species that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created is amazing. In their own system, in their own uh, hierarchy, in the way that they live, in the way that they eat, in the way that they survive. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to each one of them their ability to do so. And the teacher of our teacher, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin al-Shalqidi, rahimahullah ta'ala, said something very similar. He said, Allah azza wa jal created the creation. He said, Alladhi khalaq, the one who created, liya'umma kulla makhluqin kama taqaddam, so that it would include every type of creation. And so that's not just then limited to the creation of humans and birds and jinn and animals and so on. But rather he says, Allah Azzawajal said generally, every creation, he is the one who created. So even the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars and everything else that Allah created, Allah created it and proportioned in a way that is befitting for that particular creation. And so it's not just the living things that we see around us or the things that may move and reproduce and, and for example, what we would consider to be living in our own way. But we know that Allah Azzawajal even in those things that we don't consider to be living, in the sense that they breathe or that they reproduce, or that they have, you know, those those different uh, those different abilities that they teach you that make something living. Uh, even so, we know from the Quran and the Sunnah that that the creations of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, all of them, have abilities that Allah Azza wa Jalla has placed within them. Those creations of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, therefore, from the wind and the rain, and the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and so on. All of that is something which Allah Azza wa Jal created and then he said فَسَوَّى He placed it into due proportion. Uh, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin ta'ala continues and he says وَالتَّسْوِيَةُ التَّقْوِيمُ وَالتَّعْدِيلُ And the word sawwa means to proportion something and to put it into balance in the way that it is befitting for it. وَقَدْ خَلَقَ اللَّهُ كُلَّ مَخْلُوقٍ مُسْتَوِنْ أَلَى أَحْسَنِ مَا يَتَنَاسَبُ مَا يَتَنَاسَبُ لِخِلْقَتِهِ وَمَا خُلِقَ لَهُ And Allah Azza wa Jal has created every single creation and he has proportioned it in that which is relevant to that creation. And so likewise, when Allah Azza wa created humans, he created them in the best way for them to be able to adapt and live upon this world. So the hands and the fingers and the feet and the toes and the brain and the heart and the way that Allah Azza wa has created the human creation, it is befitting and best for it to do what Allah Azza wa created for it to do. And likewise, with every other species that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created. And so this is, as we said, something which we mentioned in more detail in a previous uh, lesson in Surah Al-Teen, when Allah Azza wa Jalla mentioned something similar. But here Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says that this is one of the reasons to glorify Him, and no doubt the creation that Allah Azza wa Jalla gives to someone, it is something from the greatest of or the creations that we see around us in the universe. It is from the greatest of the signs that point to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and so Allah Azza wa Jalla tells us to look at these creations and to contemplate over them. Uh, in Surah Qaf, uh, and inshallah ta'ala, that will be a surah that we will come on to to, do, to make this tafsir at the appropriate time within the ta'ala if Allah Azza wa Jal gives us the life and ability to continue. Uh, in Surah Qaf, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a number of his creations. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the creation of the heavens. And Allah mentions the creation of the earth and the mountains. And Allah mentions the, the creation of death and the existence of death. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says. And Allah mentions the creation of the fire. And Allah mentions the creation of paradise. And then Allah after mentioning all of this, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, within all of this is a reminder for the person who has an attentive heart or who listens attentively, meaning to the signs of Allah to the revelation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so every single one of those creations, it is amazing. Even the creation of death, you know, I just came from a janazah. We just prayed. I just prayed a janazah for a family friend not too long ago. The creation of death itself, Subhanallah, is something which is from the most amazing creations of Allah Azza wa Jal. And even though death is not a creation in the way that we understand it to be living, but it is something which Allah Azza wa Jal has placed into existence, and we know that therefore it will be taken out of existence in a way that Allah decrees as the Prophet told us وسلم, that on the day of judgment it will be slaughtered in the shape of a ram and it will be said to the people of Jannah for you is everlasting life and no death and it will be said to the people of the fire the same for you is everlasting life and there is no death this creation of death or this existence of death that Allah has decreed it is something which doesn't follow you know the normal logical uh, the, the normal logical route that you would assume that it would follow in the sense that, for example, the person who's older would die before the person who's younger. That the grandfather dies before the father, the father dies before the son and the daughter, and so on and so forth. It's not based upon age. It's not based upon wealth. It's not based upon any type of logical thing that we would say that this is the reason why that person was chosen to die before that person. Yes, we know there's reasons behind people dying. Someone gets ill, someone gets in a car accident, whatever. But in terms of who is chosen where, and at one point and whatever. And so that is something which Allah Azza wa Jalla decrees and it is from the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept as the Prophet told us وسلم, in the hadith in Al-Bukhari that five things Allah Azza wa Jalla kept with the knowledge of the unseen with himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. And those five are also mentioned in the Quran and from them is وَمَا تَدْرِي نَفْسٌ بِأَيِّ أَرْضٍ تَمُوتٍ No soul knows when it will die and in which land. That is something which Allah Azza wa Jalla has kept for himself subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even death is something which Allah Azza wa Jalla has placed in a certain way, in the way that he has decreed subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah Azza wa Jal says that he created and he placed people or placed every single one of those creations in due proportion. In verse number three, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah Azza wa Jal says the translation of, um, of Professor Abdul Halim, who determined their destinies and guided them. Sahih International and who destined and then guided. Mufti Taqiyan who determined the measure for everything, then guided it. And Muhsin Khan, and who has measured, and then he opens his uh, parenthesis, preordainments for everything even to, be even to be blessed or wretched, close brackets, and then guided, and again open brackets, i.e. showed mankind the right as well as the wrong paths, and guided the animals to pasture. And that's a long uh, translation that he has for a relatively short verse because he's added, within statements of the scholars of tafsir as we will now see. Uh, in this particular verse there are two recitations, two qira'at. The majority of the qurra, 
they read it the way that we read it. وَالَّذِي قَدَّرَ فَهَدَى They read قَدَّرَ with a shadda on the dal. But it is the reading of Al-Kisai, uh, who is from the, uh, you know, from the seven mutawatir uh, qurra, and he is uh, one of the Kufi reciters, one of the Kufi imams. He recites it without the shadda. وَالَّذِي قَدَرَ فَهَدَى or فَهَدَى because he reads it with an imala. وَالَّذِي قَدَرَ فَهَدَى so he reads it without the tashdeed. And both of them have one and the same meaning. Ibn Ashur, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, Al-Miqdar, or this qaddara, which means to uh, to give something its due measure, or to determine something by a measure. He says that it is something which is used in the Arabic language for anything which can be weighed or measured, whether by volume or by size or by weight or by number. Use the word miqdar. The word miqdar, which is the the root word of the word qaddar, or its its um, you know its origin word, it is something which is used for any type anything that can be measured, whichever way it's measured, whether it's by volume, whether it's by weight, whether it's by number, whether it's by size or length or whatever it may be, everything that is called that has that it is called miqdar or it is called as having a miqdar in the Arabic language, and he says here Allah subhanahu wa taala uses it when he describes his creation or the way that he's created the different creations. To show that it is something which has been done in that proportion, that Allah Azza determined its place and determined how it would be it would be uh, made or, or destined for it, its pre-adorned uh, issues. So, for example, as we know, the Prophet told us in the Hadith that when Allah Azza blows the spirit into the soul in the womb of the mother, and that child comes to life, that a number of things are written down by that angel. And from those things that are written down from the angel is its rizq. So it's a type of measurement, something that has been preordained in terms of its measurement. From the things that is written down is that its lifespan. Again, something which is preordained in terms of its measurement. And from those things are those things which cannot be weighed, but it is something which is also predetermined. Meaning that there is also a, a, a determination there, but it's not in the way that we would understand. It is from that which Allah alone keeps the knowledge of. And that is the writing of the soul as to whether it would be blessed or whether it would be wretched. Um, and so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word Ibn Ashur says Qaddar because it is as if all of these things have been measured and preordained. Allah Azza wa has preordained every single one of these things and we know that anyway. Uh, Mujahid rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar of tafsir from the students of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah, he said that Allah Azza wa determined for a person their, whether they would be wretched or whether they would be blessed and happy. And he guided the animals to their pasture. وَهَدَى فَهَدَى He guided the animals to his, their pasture. So as we will see, Ibn Atiyah ta'ala, he says in his tafsir that the word فَهَدَى عَام It is a general word that Allah guided. And it is all types of guidance. Guidance for humans and guidance for animals. Guidance for every single creation. And that is why he says that some of the scholars of tafsir what they did is that they gave examples of certain types of guidance. And you will find amongst the Salaf, like in this example of Mujahid rahimahullah ta'ala, is one of the ways that they did this, is that they used the Qaddar part, which is the determination, the preordainment, the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They used that part for humans. And then they used the Fahada, the guidance part, not as in uh, guidance of a spiritual sense, but guidance in the sense that you're guided towards where your rizq is guided towards where your provision is, where your sustenance is, they used that, that for the animal world. And that is why Mujahid, rahimahullah ta'ala, he made that distinction. He said, He 
He, Allah Azza wa Jal determined for humans whether they would be predetermined for them, whether they would be from the wretched or from the happy. And he guided the animals to their pastures and their place of grazing. Ata rahimahullah ta'ala, the famous scholar also of Mecca and from the Tabi'een, also from the students of the likes of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhum and others. He said, Allah Azza placed for every single creature that which is in its benefit and he guided it towards it. And so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he knows everything. As we've said before, he pre-decrees everything. Allah Azza wa knows and has knowledge of every single thing that would take place. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has determined everything within that decree. As uh, the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the hadith that the first thing that Allah Azza wa created was the pen. And then he said to the pen, write. And the pen replied, and oh my Lord, what should I write? And, the, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replied, write every single thing that will take place until Yawmul Qiyamah. And they said that that writing was done 50,000 years before the creation of, uh, before creation, uh, before the creation of the heavens and the earth and so on and so forth. And so that is when the hadith of, of, um, of the two prophets, Adam and Musa alayhi salatu wasalam, and Musa alayhi salam, as the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Musa alayhi salam comes and he says to our father Adam, are you Adam the one who caused us all to be exiled from Jannah? Meaning was because of you and your disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you're eating from that which Allah azza wa jal forbade you to eat from, from that tree, because of you that we were exiled from Jannah. And Adam alayhi salam says in reply to Musa alayhi salam, do you not find in the Torah that Allah revealed to you that Allah had decreed all of this 50,000 years before creation? And Musa alayhi salam says, yes. He replies, yes, just as we have it in our sunnah from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Do you not find this in the Torah? Musa alayhi salam says, yes. So then the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, فَحَجَّ آدَمُ Musa." So Adam's argument was better or greater or more powerful than that of Musa's, meaning that he establishes evidence that Allah azza wa jal decreed that this would be the way in which things would go. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has decreed everything. And from that decree, is an example of that decree in everything, in your life, in your rizq, in your provision, in your actions, in, in your lifespan. Every single thing is decreed by Allah Azza wa Jal. But from those decrees is that which Allah Azza wa Jal has determined as to whether a person will be from the people of Jannah or whether he will be from or she will be from the people of the fire. And so therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that is why some of the scholars chose this as an example. Doesn't mean this is the only thing that Allah decreed, but it is in some ways the greatest form of decree of Allah Azza wa Jal for the human, for each and every single individual, it is the decree that matters more than any other decree. Your lifespan, your rizq, your children, your family, all of these things are secondary to that decree of Allah Azza wa Jal as to whether you are from the righteous or not from the righteous. And then Allah Azza wa Jal created uh, and He decreed the same for all of His creation. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala already decreed the length of this dunya, and Allah Azza wa Jal decreed already when Yom Al Qiyamah would strike. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed already who would be living at that time and who would be dead. And Allah Azza wa Jal decreed already who would be from amongst the Ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and who would accept his message and who wouldn't. All of this thing is decreed. And likewise, it is also decreed for the animals. Every single animal, its position, its place, how it will die, where it will live, how it will survive, its risk. Every single thing has been decreed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fahada. And then Allah Azza wa Jal guides everything to that which Allah Azza wa Jal has already decreed for it to take place. And from that 
is that Allah Azza wa Jal guides people towards their rizq. And that is why some of the scholars chose this as particularly being for the animals. That just as the animals don't need to necessarily be taught. They don't really have to, you know, it's like humans where you have to go to a shop or you have to find or cook or whatever. Animals know where their, where their food is to be found because Allah Azza wa Jal guides them to do so. So those animals that graze go towards grazing lands. And those animals that hunt go towards their prey and so on and so forth. Al-Imam Al-Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that the strongest of these uh, positions, because he mentions a number of these statements of Mujahid and Ata and so on, and then often as Al-Imam Al-Tabari does, rahimahullah ta'ala, he gives his own conclusion and he says that Allah Azza wa Jal is the one who guided all of this creation. Every single creation, Allah Azza wa Jal is the guide, is the one who guided. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all of these statements, so whether it's creation, khalaqa, fusawwa, qaddara, fahada, all of them, Allah Azza wa Jal, he says, didn't specify one meaning as opposed to another. Meaning, he didn't specify one type of guidance over another, one type of creation over another, one type of decree over another, and so on. But rather, he made it general, which means that therefore it encompasses every single meaning when it comes to decree, every type of decree, every type of guidance, every type of of uh, of um, of creation and so on and so forth. And he guided them and showed them the paths towards good and the paths towards evil. So obviously with some creations as we know, they have no free will. Nor would Allah hold them to account in that way, nor are they rewarded or punished in the sense that they will have eternal bliss or eternal damnation. They have their guidance in the way that Allah allows them to live upon this earth and survive. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا مِنْ دَابَةٍ فِي الْأَرْضِ there is not a creature upon earth except that Allah Azza wa provides for it. And we know that from the justice, the ultimate justice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as the Prophet told us sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that on yawm al-qiyamah, even amongst those creations that have no accounting as such, resurrection as such, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will still right the wrongs that took place between them. That if the horned animal attacked the unhorned animal, Allah Azza wa will write the justice between the two, the injustice between the two, and he will give justice to the animal that was oppressed before those animals no, uh, no longer cease or no longer exist, or they cease to exist because they are not from those animals or those creations that Allah Azza wa will give to them, as we said, eternal reward. So rather Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided them. For humans, Allah Azza wa guides us by showing us the way of good and the way of evil. Every single creation that has that is from the humans and jinn is shown the path to good or guidance and the path towards evil and misguidance. As Allah Azza wa mentioned, and we mentioned in the tafsir of Surah Al-Balad, and it is important, as I've mentioned before, as we're making tafsir and as we're progressing, that we're able to link these verses together. That the verses that we've done so far, and there have been a number of surahs that now we've covered, and a number of the, these themes are repetitive, in the sense that they are Mecki surahs, and Allah Azza wa is establishing these foundations in a number of ways, but the foundation is the same. The principle is one and the same. To be able to make those connections is a sign, inshallah ta'ala, of, uh, of your diligence in your studies, of your understanding, and of your contemplation. And so that's why revision is so important, to go back to make those connections and so on. So we mentioned something like this very similar in the verse in Surah Al-Balad. Allah Azza wa says, وَهَدَيْنَاهُنْ نَجْدَيْنْ and we guided him towards the two paths. And we said a number of the scholars of Tafsir were of the position that those two paths are the path towards good and the path towards evil. That is the position of a number of the scholars. And this is something similar that Allah Azza wa is saying here. 
that from the guidance that is given to humans as well as the guidance of the dunya guidance in terms of uh, in terms of provision guidance in terms of you know what is good and beneficial for you in this in this life and so on allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also giving to them guidance towards their salvation and towards their damnation that is something which every single creation of allah that will be held to account receives either in this world because the message came to them and if it did not for one reason or another like someone who didn't have the ability to understand someone who lived at a time when there was no prophethood or messengership the message of islam didn't reach them then we know from the sunnah of the prophet وسلم, that allah will hold them to account or give them those options on yawm al-qiyamah that test will be presented to them in a different form on the day of judgment and those people will make that choice every single one of them and so just because someone in this world for one reason or another, for an illness or a disability, was unable to understand and comprehend, doesn't mean, yes, the pen is lifted from them in this world, in the sense that, you know, we wouldn't say to them that it is wajib upon them to pray or to fast if they were Muslim and so on, because that person doesn't understand, they don't have the ability to comprehend and understand these commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But on the day of judgment, those people are still tested by Allah azza wa jal, so each one of them must make that particular uh, choice. And so that is the type of guidance also that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given to his creation as Imam Tabari rahimahullah ta'ala mentions. And then he says, and likewise from the guidance is that Allah Azza has allowed the male of each one of those species to be guided to its female partner uh, for that particular reason. And so therefore this verse is general. And we continue to say that these statements of Allah Azza are general until we have a clear evidence or proof that specifies it into one over another. And as we said, Imam Al-Tabir is therefore referring to some of the specific statements of the likes of Ata and Mujahid and others from amongst the Salaf. But as we've mentioned before, those scholars are giving an example, not necessarily that they're saying that this is uh, restricted to only that meaning and that it's the only thing that, you know, and the likes of Mujahid and Ata and others were great scholars and, and, and far more knowledgeable than anyone who came after them when it came to tafsir on the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But it was often the way of the Salaf and we know this through what we call istiqra and tatabu' by reading, continuously reading their works and looking through them and just being someone who's well read when it comes to their statements and so on is a very common practice amongst the very early scholars of Islam to speak by way of example as Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala mentions in one of his principles in the introduction of his uh, in, in the book, his introduction to the principles of tafsir. Uh, Imam Al-Qurtubi, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said in his tafsir, it is said that Allah Azza wa Jal decreed for people their provision and their sustenance, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guided them to their life, meaning the, what, what they need in order to be able to live their life, whether they are human, so that which will sustain them as humans, and if they are animals, that which will sustain them as animals. That is also another example. Imam Al-Qurtubi says, Waqila, and it is also said, meaning that this is another example by way of the, the taqdeer of Allah Azza wa Jal, this determination of predetermination of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the guidance of Allah Azza wa Jal, referring to the worldly sense. And like we said, as Imam Al-Tabari said, it includes all of this. It includes the worldly sense and it includes the sense of the akhirah when it comes to the humans and the jinn. And that's why Ibn Atiyah, as we mentioned, said, This statement of Allah that he guided is a general statement 
that includes every type of guidance for humans and for animals. And some of the scholars of tafsir, they chose specific examples of guidance. They gave specific examples of types of guidance. And as we said, it doesn't mean that it is restricted only to that. Ibn Kathir, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, this statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, fahada, it is similar to the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal regarding Musa alayhi salatu salam. And that Musa alayhi salam said to Pharaoh, as Allah Azza wa Jal mentions in Surah Taha, when he was asking or when he was describing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, uh, not in, uh, in Surah Taha, رَبُّنَ الَّذِي أَعْطَى كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلْقَهُ ثُمَّ هَدَى That our Lord is the one who created every single thing and then he guided it. So in that discourse that, that you find in Surah Taha, when uh, Musa alayhi salatu salam is speaking to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to him, who is your Lord then? Describe to me your Lord, because as we know, Pharaoh is making the claim that he is the Lord, that he is God. So who is your Lord? And so Musa alayhi salam describes Allah azza wa in a number of ways. And those descriptions are important because number one, Musa alayhi is speaking to the greatest tyrant of his time, if not of every time. Pharaoh is considered to be from the worst of tyrants ever to, to, to live upon the face of the earth. Number two, this is a man who himself is claiming divinity. And number three, the time or the opportunity to speak to him, to give him da'wah, to call him to Allah Azza wa Jal, because we know that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala says to Musa and Harun, فَقُولَ لَهُ قَوْلًا لَيِّنَا Go to him and call him to your Lord, speak to him gently. لَعَلَّهُ يَتَذَكَّرُ أَوْ يَخْشَى Perhaps he will be reminded or he will fear his Lord. So they've given, been given a limited opportunity. This isn't a man known for his, uh, for his uh, great patience. He's not known for his uh, you know, great understanding. So therefore they have a limited opportunity. So Musa alayhi salatu wasalam chooses what he considers to be what's the greatest and most important of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when he describes Allah azza wa jal, he says, Our Lord is the one who gave to everything its form, its creation. Meaning every single thing. He doesn't say our Lord is the creator because he may understand also therefore he created you but not necessarily me. Or he created humans only but what about all of these other things? He says no. He is the one who gave to every single thing its form and creation. And then he guided it. Meaning that he guided that creation to that which it needs in order to survive and not only survive but thrive. As we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala all of these creations that we see around us that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed to come in existence, even the ones that we consider to be filthy, or the ones that we don't like, or the ones that we look down upon, or the ones that we consider to be unhygienic, whatever it may be, those types of creations, they still thrive. They still thrive in their own way, because Allah has allowed them to do so. Uh, and Ibn Kathir ta'ala mentions, and he says, and therefore it is similar to the statement of the Prophet wasallam that we find in the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr, radiyallahu anhu that is collected in Sahih Muslim that the Prophet said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam inna allaha qaddara maqadira al-khala'iqi qabla an yakhluqa al-samawati wal-arda bi-khamsina al-fasanatin wa kana arshuhu ala al-ma' Indeed Allah decreed and predetermined everything all of creation before he created the heavens and the earth by 50,000 years when his throne was upon water That is the statement of Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin uh, he says Allah Azza wa Jal here he mentions the taqdeer that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala determined everything 
so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would make it general and it would include every single type of decree. And it is that decree is referring to every single type of creation. Because from the necessities of creation is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what will take place with that creation. As Allah Azza says in Surah Al-Qamr, Indeed, we created everything with qadr or in a predetermined way. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin ta'ala is saying that when Allah azza wa created, and if we accept that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the creator of everything in the heavens and the earth, then it would not be befitting for a God that is all-knowing, all-perfect, all-powerful subhanahu wa ta'ala, that he would create that creation and have no idea what would take place. You know, like some people invent something and they don't really know what's going to happen with that invention. Or they create something or they invent something and it can have a dual purpose, a dual use. It can have good and it can have evil. And they don't really know what's going to happen. Some people may use it for good, but many people will use it for evil as well. And we have, you know, if you go through like the, the discoveries of science, even in the last century or two, you have many examples of that. Where someone creates something, finds something, discovers something, and they don't really know what's going to happen with it after that. It becomes something which other people adopt and take. And some of them may use it in ways that are good and positive for humanity. Others may use it in ways that are detrimental and harmful towards humanity. From Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's attributes is that when Allah azza wa creates, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows exactly what will happen with that creation. And Allah has decreed for it its course and its way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows for every single person... <coughs> What will be their way? As Allah Azza wa Jal, you know, uh, when we come onto the tafsir of Surah Abbasah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ثُمَّ السَّبِيلَ يَسَّرَ Allah Azza wa Jal has made easy for people their path, right? And some of the scholars of tafsir said that that's referring to the birth of the child. That when it comes out from the womb of its mother, Allah makes it easy, that path for it to uh, come through the birth canal and to be born. And from the meanings of that, uh, from a more general perspective is that Allah Azza wa guides each one to its path makes easy for him the path and that is why when the companions had these ahadith concerning the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the qadr of Allah Azza wa and so on they said O oh, Messenger of Allah should we not just trust then in what Allah has decreed should we not just trust in the book that has been written meaning in the written decree that Allah Azza wa has recorded because as we know from the levels of our iman belief in the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that we believe that Allah Azza wa has knowledge and that he recorded that knowledge. In the Lawh al-Mahfud, everything is written, as we mentioned the hadith of the Prophet concerning the pen. Some of the companions would say, should we not therefore just trust in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written? And the Prophet said, no, rather work, i'malu, perform, act, do actions. For everyone will be, it will be made easy for them for that which they were created meaning the path that you are determined to go on, you will go upon it either way. And it is irrespective. You will find that path to be the one that you will find easier. And that is because of the state of your heart and so on. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides as we see those people who are upon kufr and disbelief and in the darkness of shirk. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides them. And he brings them towards Islam. And then there are people who grow up in Muslim households and families and their family is one of tawheed and they know the sunnah and so on. And Allah Azza wa decrees that that person will go into misguidance. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala save us from that. And so for the believer, that is a lesson. For the person of weak iman, it is a trial and test. It's a trial and test because they don't understand how that works. And so therefore it leads them further away from Allah. It increases them in doubt of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For the believer, when the companions used to hear this, it would be a lesson. 
a lesson that they should never take the, anything for granted, especially Iman. A lesson that they should ask Allah Azza wa Jal for an increase in guidance and steadfastness. And they would see this in a very different way. And so the same issue is understood and taken in different ways depending upon a person's level of Iman and the uh, purity of their heart. Uh, Ibn uh, Shaykh Muhammad al-Amin continues and he says, This verse and similar verses to it speak about the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he mentions also the statement of Allah Azza wa Jalla that was mentioned by uh, Ibn Kathir ta'ala, the statement of Allah Azza wa Jalla, the verse in Surah Taha that when Musa alayhi salatu salam asked, that when Musa was asked alayhi salam by Pharaoh, فَمَنْ رَبُّكُمَا يَا مُوسَى Who is your Lord or who is the Lord of you too, meaning Musa and Harun? Who is your Lord? Then he replied, رَبُّنَا الَّذِي أَعْطَى كُلَّ شَيْءٍ خَلْقَهُ ثُمَّ هَدَى Our Lord is the one who gave to everything its creation and he then guided it. Uh, it is important when we speak about these issues of decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it's not something which, uh, you know, it's not something which uh, should be bandied about or, or uh, delved into without a requisite level of knowledge and understanding because there is one of the doors of shaitan that shaitan uses in order to take a person away from iman or increase them in doubt or plant seeds of doubt within their heart. And that is why the companions of the Prophet and the Salaf in general they didn't like opening the doors of this issue of decree. Because for many people, as I said, for the believers and for people of knowledge and so on, it is a sign and a lesson. But for many people who don't have that level of knowledge, who have a weakness of Iman, maybe, or they don't have that type of level of, of worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ibadah to keep them strong, it becomes a test and a trial. How can Allah force us to do things? How can Allah know these things and then expect us to make a choice? How, and then all of these doors open. And this is something which took place from the very earliest times of Islam, from the times of the companions, one of the first issues in which people were misguided and the sects appeared, it revolved around the issue of Qadr. And so you had the emergence of the people that were known and that group, and it still exists today as well, the group that is known as the Qadariyya. And the Qadariyya are those people who denied the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They denied that Allah azza wa jal could have pre-existing knowledge and they are of levels and they are of you know different there's a spectrum amongst them some of them completely denied everything that Allah can't even know anything before it happens so right now if I put this pen down on the desk Allah didn't know that that was going to happen until I did it may Allah Azza wa Jal be uh, far removed from that type of assertion Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't know what I do what you do what I'm going to say what you're going to say until it takes place the later Qadariya understood that that's a problem now because you're essentially saying that Allah doesn't know doesn't have knowledge, doesn't have power, doesn't have ability. And so therefore, what type of a Lord and Creator is that? So what they said instead was that, yes, Allah knows, uh, but He doesn't necessarily uh, doesn't necessarily will it to happen until it happens by you. And so they tried to go into some type of, you know, like logical kind of discussion to try to make a distinction because it became problematic. And then as a counter result, because often as you have within uh, within the uh, you know the, the history of Muslim groups and sects, when you have one type of philosophy emerging, one extreme, it is countered by a different philosophy, the opposite philosophy and the opposite extreme. And so you had the emergence of a, another group called the Jabariya. And the Jabariya were of the position that Allah forces you to do everything. Complete opposite. The Qadariya said, Allah doesn't know what's going to happen, there's no decree. These people said, no, how can you say that? What kind of God is that? Rather, Allah does know what's going to happen. Not only that, but he makes you do everything as well. So he forces. So you have no choice in the matter. 
So you do everything as Allah wanted. And therefore, they said that Allah wants people to sin and wants people to, because that's what Allah decreed and forces people to do. And the position of Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, as we know, is always the balanced middle path. And that is that Allah has decreed and has infinite knowledge, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given people the choice. He doesn't, he doesn't force them. But just because Allah knows doesn't detract from them being able to make that choice because Allah is greater and far greater subhanahu wa ta'ala than that. And Allah's knowledge, just as we have certain knowledge over those things that are far less than us, and for example, the knowledge that an adult would have over a very young child, just by virtue of knowledge and by virtue of age and wisdom and experience and so on, there are certain things that you can determine that your child, the three-year-old, the four-year-old can't determine. That knowledge that you have, that pre-exists knowledge of the child, because that knowledge when the child, when it grows up to that age, your age, will probably know the same thing. That pre-existing knowledge that you have over the child doesn't mean that you force the child into making a certain choice. And to Allah belongs the greatest and best of examples. And so those people went to the extreme. And that is why the companions, they used to warn against this. And from them is the first hadith. If you read Sahih Muslim, the first hadith, which is the long hadith of Jibreel salam. In the hadith when Jibreel comes and he asks the Prophet about what is Islam and Iman and Ihsan and so on. In Sahih Muslim, because most of us take that hadith from Imam al-Nawi's collection of 40. And he just mentions the hadith. But there is a story before it. And that story before it is the narration of Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma in Sahih Muslim that two men from amongst the Tabi'een they came seeking one of the companions to ask this very question of Qadr and they came and they said oh Ibn Umar there are amongst us people who say that there is no such thing as decree that everything happens as it happens no Allah Azzawajal doesn't know anything beforehand and then Ibn Umar said that if you meet these people tell them that I am free of them and they are free of me and then he goes on to narrate the hadith from his father Umar of Jibreel because in it the Prophet clearly said that from the pillars of Iman is that you believe in all of the decree of Allah the good and the bad. So it is something which is important to, to bear in mind because sometimes when we try to teach these lessons or teach these surahs or make tafsir of them and so on we open a door especially if we're teaching this to children or to people who may not necessarily have or not, they're not necessarily students of knowledge there's a certain way that you have to uh, you know, present this and speak to them about it without opening doors that may be very difficult for you then to close. Uh, and Allah Azza wa Jal knows best. Okay, I think we will uh, stop there for today, ta'ala, and then inshallah ta'ala from next week we will continue with verse number four. Which still continues to speak about some of the attributes and some of the, the abilities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But if there's any questions, inshallah, we will take them. Uh, question here, can we relate Allah having a throne to the fact he is Al-Malik, the king, in a similar way to the kings of the dunya having thrones because Allah is the king that has ultimate power and rule and sovereignty and authority. It befits him to have a throne. Uh, I mean, possibly we can say that Allah is Al-Malik, that he is the king. And therefore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has dominion and sovereignty over everything that he owns. And everything that is in his creation subhanahu wa ta'ala and if Allah chooses to have a throne then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do so and as we said it is said amongst the scholars of Islam that the greatest creation of Allah is his throne because it is above everything else the heavens and the earth and so on above that is the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it is because of that the uh, you know it's uh, it's beauty it's grandeur its position its status 
that when the Prophet ﷺ was praising the highest levels of Jannah, the highest level of Jannah, which is Jannatul Firdaus, uh, from the descriptions he gave of it is Rahman, and the, the roof of that level of Jannah is the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so Allah and the Prophet sallallahu praised Jannatul Firdaus and its status because it is directly beneath the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah azza wa knows best are there any other questions? Okay, so um, just as a reminder then for those of you that uh, attend Al-Isnad and are interested then inshallah ta'ala this weekend is our next course which will be related to the Quran. Uh, so we're going to be doing two books which are very relevant to our study of the book of Allah Azza wa Jal. The first is the book Fadail al-Quran, the virtues of the Quran by Sheikh Muhammad bin Abdul Wahhab rahimahullah ta'ala and the second is the book Akhlaq wa Hamlat al-Quran, the etiquettes of the bearers of the Quran or the people of the Quran by the famous Imam Abu Bakr al-Jurri who died in the year 360 of the Hijrah rahimahullah ta'ala so inshallah ta'ala will be doing a full reading and commentary that will be uh, broadcast live for those of you that are in Birmingham uh, on the Greenland Masjid YouTube channel ta'ala. this weekend Saturday and Sunday we begin inshallah ta'ala 10am UK time uh, and there will be uh, we're going to start inshallah ta'ala going forwards uh, so one of the ideas behind Lisnad is that we give the ijazah, which is the chain of uh, transmission from myself all the way up to the author of these books. Uh, however, you know, whenever those authors uh, came, so Muhammad Abdul Wahab is only relatively like a couple of hundred years ago, but Al-Jurri is over a thousand years ago. So we have chains of transmission, and usually those chains of transmission are for those people who attend live at the masjid, they're there in person, I can see them, they can see me with on the brother's side, sister's side. And then they get the ijazah once they uh, they register on the days. But we're going to have an online version, which isn't going to be the ijazah in its complete form, but it will be what we call in in, in uh, you know in, in this type of field al ijazah al a general uh, permission to transmit these books. Uh, so that is like a, a lower level, and the reason why it's a lesser level is because simply I can't see the people who are online. So I don't know how much you attended or what you were doing or. You know whether you were like in the room outside the room and so on it's very difficult to make that determination and so there is going to be a level of trust that it is based upon but also because the people who come and are not there uh, and, and present for that whole time and sit on the in the masjid on the floor uh you know for all of those hours there is something which they should you know that there, there is a level of dedication that that requires that therefore determines that they should also have a level of of uh preference if you like in terms of the ijazah that they receive for those people online because i understand that not everyone's in birmingham it's not possible for everyone to come or attend even those sometimes who are in birmingham i understand that many of you are from different countries and so on that it's not necessarily you know out of choice but just because of circumstance uh, that you're not able to attend you will have inshallah ta'ala a different type of ijazah which will be of a more general uh general uh you know a general kind of format that inshallah ta'ala we will see but however in order for you there is still going to be a link that you have like a form that you have to fill in uh, at the end of the SNAD course and that form will only be available uh, most likely on the Telegram group or on our social media of the SNAD so maybe on the Instagram group or something uh, on the Instagram page but most likely on the Telegram group that we've set up so if you're not on the Telegram group uh, then you'll find it on the QP the link will be on the QP it's already on there on the chat group 
so you have to be on the Telegram group in order for you to, see, to receive that link. So it is going to be from 10 a.m. inshallah ta'ala and up until each day until about 6 p.m. UK time. So we take a couple of breaks obviously for salah and a quick lunch and so on. But obviously, you know, the prayers have kind of come closer together as well. Uh, so there will be like two or three breaks for Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib anyway. But it's until about 6 p.m. inshallah ta'ala. And that will be on YouTube Queen Masjid. That will be inshallah ta'ala on their page bi'idhnillah ta'ala. Barakallahu feekum wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.